Welcome back, Mencio family. Today, you'll hear Pastor Josh talk about how God is all-powerful and will accomplish all he has set out to do. We see this in the Christmas story as Herod tries to kill Jesus. God protects Jesus and brings people from afar to worship. If you have any questions about Missio, you'd like to join a missional community, or you have any prayer requests, please contact us at missio.life. Well, hey, good morning, church. Welcome. We're so glad that you're here. And I just wanted to, first of all, say thank you to anyone who helped wrap Christmas presents. So this past week, we had uh, a night that turned into two nights of wrapping presents because we didn't get them all done the first night. And so uh, for the last number of years, we've partnered with Toys for Tots, and they use a bunch of space back here in the warehouse. And so they decided to donate enough gifts to have every student at Myrie Elementary get a bundle. So it was 900 Christmas presents. So good job. Thank you for wrapping. Yeah. Give yourselves a hand. And uh, I got to go over there on Friday with uh, Austin and Keita went as well. And we got to drop those gifts off and the kids were just blown away. So the impact was huge. And I tell you the partnership ongoing with Myrie Elementary, with the families over there, the students, and also the staff. It's pretty awesome. So good job. We're going to do it again next year. So if you missed out, don't worry. Don't go anywhere. We're going to be back next year. We'll wrap some more Christmas presents. So you will get your opportunity as well. So I've said this before, and you probably know this about me by now, but one of my favorite genres of movie is action movie. Anybody in here like action movies? I'm just a sucker for an action movie. Like, I love, like, Jason Bourne, you get these characters who are just unstoppable, right? Like, you get Jason Bourne, you've got, like, James Bond, Ethan Hunt, and Mission Impossible, John Wick, like, take your pick. There's so many of them, and they're just unstoppable. But if you want to go to, like, the, the upper uh, class of, like, who's the, who's the most unstoppable action hero, you got to go with all time, Chuck Norris this guy. He is the best, right? Chuck Norris. And there's actually memes all over the internet. I just want to show you a couple of them. Chuck Norris built the hospital he was born in. That's how awesome he is. (laughs) Chuck Norris doesn't need a GPS. He decides where he is. Chuck Norris doesn't dial the wrong number. You answered the wrong phone, (laughs) right? When Chuck Norris left for college, he told his father, you're the man of the house now. <laughs> I got a kick out of those. I'm sorry. Uh, it's good to laugh. But as fun as it is to watch movies and, and think about characters who we would consider unstoppable, they can fight their way through anything, they can do anything, the reality is humans are pretty limited. We're frail. And even the toughest MMA fighter or the strongest athlete can get sick or injured and go down pretty, pretty easily. And so there's only one who is unstoppable, and that is our God. There is only one who can do everything they set out to do. No one can stop them, and that's God. And I know that's a a big statement, that he can accomplish anything he sets out to do. He truly is unstoppable. But we're going to see that this morning as we look, continue to look at the Christmas story. Because um, God proves that no one can stop him. Last week, we talked about Mary and Joseph. They took a little road trip to Bethlehem. 
and they had to go there for the census. And God was with them in their journey, in their weariness of having to travel nine months pregnant to go to Bethlehem, this three-day journey. So God provided for them in less than ideal circumstances. We've seen how God accomplishes what he has set out to do. We also talked about how Jesus, when he was born, the first people who got to witness his birth were the shepherds, the people that we wouldn't expect, the outcast, the people who were considered unclean by the Jewish uh, customs. And so now we're going to pick up our story today, and we're going to learn about some more people that we are familiar with in the Christmas story, the wise men. All right, so let's go to our text. If you have a Bible, we're going to read from chapter uh, 2 of Matthew. You can get a Bible app or a Bible or just follow along on the screen. We're going to start in verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born, the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told them, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star that had, they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So in our text, we see a guy named Herod, King Herod. Who is King Herod? King Herod is, um, he's half Jewish, half Idumean, and he has been placed in authority by the Roman government. So he's a half Jew, and he's been uh, put over charge of Bethlehem and, and Galilee and, um, and all of Judea. And so he had been put into, into power about 40 BC, and he was a power-hungry dude. Herod was not somebody who uh, you wanted to cross, not someone you wanted to mess with. And then we see Bethlehem mentioned. We talked about Bethlehem last week. It's where Mary and Joseph went during the census. You had to check in, make sure you're paying your taxes, right? Like the IRS checks in on you once in a while, pay your taxes. So they were on their way to Bethlehem. Well, Bethlehem also has a lot of biblical significance. It's the town where Jacob buried his wife, Rachel. Rachel gave birth to her son, Benjamin. She died during childbirth. That's where she was buried. And Benjamin's descendant, King David, was also born there. And that's why in Scripture you see it talks about the city of David. That's Bethlehem. So we know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. That's an easy part of the story. But at the time, they were trying to figure out, where's this Jesus 
going to be born. And so Herod, when these wise men come in, and by the way, like this is not something that is probably real smart to walk into a, a crazy dude like Herod and say, hey, where's your successor? The guy who's going to usurp your authority? Where's he been born? I want to find him. I want to go worship him. Herod didn't like that very much. Herod wanted to be worshipped. He was in charge. It was his throne, his power. And if you do any reading on Herod, the guy was crazy. Like, he executed his own kids, his sons. He executed his wives, friends. He was paranoid. He always thought people were coming after his power. And so Herod didn't like the fact that these wise men walk in and start asking, where's this king of the Jews? We want to go worship him. And so Herod says, uh, yeah, when you find him, let me know because I want to worship him too, wink, wink. <laughs> Obviously wasn't interested in worshiping Jesus. There's something in our text, though, that, that jumped out to me. In verse 3 and 4, it says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where Christ was to be born. It says that he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. What does that mean? Well, I, I dug into this a little bit, and commentators tend to think that all Jerusalem refers to the other people in power that Herod had put into power, the religious leaders of the day. So it wasn't so much that all of Jerusalem was, was troubled, but the leadership they all got together, the scribes and the Pharisees and the chief priests, because Herod had put them into power and they were all kind of in this thing together. If, if Herod goes down, then who's going to take over their authority? So they were all kind of worried about this, but they knew from the prophecies that Jesus was going to be born in the city of David, in Bethlehem. So it wasn't a huge mystery, but yet, yet these wise men come and they, and they speak to Herod. And Herod was more interested in saving his power, his throne, than he was saving his soul. He knew the prophecy. He was, he was Jewish. He's part Jewish. He knew that Jesus was the promised Messiah. But he was far more interested in holding on to his power, his control of his kingdom, than to actually see Jesus for who he was, that he could actually save his soul. And it's easy for us to kind of look at Herod or these religious leaders and think, man, what's their problem? Like, why would you be so hung up with your power and your control? But maybe we do the exact same thing. Maybe we don't have a kingdom, but maybe we want to be in charge of our lives. Maybe we want to sit on the throne and be in control and call the shots. But until Jesus sits on the throne of our heart, we will grasp for power and control. I want you to imagine in your heart, there's a throne room. And on that throne sits you and me. We sit on the throne of our lives. And we like it there because it's familiar. And we're in charge and we get to make decisions and we get to decide what's right and wrong. We get to make decisions about where our life is going. And then Jesus enters that throne room and he stands there. He doesn't come in with a sword. He doesn't come in with a list of demands. But he, he stands there with eyes full of love. And he waits for an invitation to sit on the throne of our heart. And if we invite him to come and take his rightful place on that throne, our lives are filled with peace and joy. And we know his love. And he invites us to come and sit alongside of him. He doesn't kick us out. It isn't a hostile takeover. It's a voluntary surrender. 
And when we surrender our hearts and the throne of our lives to Jesus, everything gets better. That's why he came. The question is, who sits on the throne of your heart today? Is it you? You like being there? Do you like being in control of everything? Or are you willing to let Jesus take his rightful place on the throne of your heart? Herod could not. The religious leaders could not. They were not open to Jesus. We'll talk a little bit about the wise men in our story. They, uh, historically, we think of uh, the wise men, or we, we say that the kings, the three kings. You guys have heard that Christmas song, right? We three kings. That's actually not accurate. <laughs> They're not kings. They were magi. They were court magicians. They were probably from Babylon or Persia, from the east, and they were not kings. Now, they probably had some wealth, and they had some influence. Um, they were well-known, but they were astronomers. They studied the stars, and they were astrologers. They tried to predict the future by, by the stars, kind of like horoscopes. So you think of um, these guys were um, recognized in their community. They, they were powerful. They had influence. But they, were, they see this star, and they follow it, and they say, something's going on over here. And so they travel a great distance to go and find out about this king of the Jews, this Messiah. And they approach Herod and start asking questions. So despite the fact that they had a pagan background, they're Gentiles, they're from a different country, they come and they have an open heart and realize who Christ Jesus is. I don't know if you realize this, but this is the second group of Gentiles that God includes at the beginning of the Christmas story. First revealed Jesus to the shepherds. They were the first witnesses, the first evangelists. They went and told everybody. And now he invites the wise men to come and gaze upon Jesus. The other thing from the Christmas story that um, is, isn't historically accurate, you have your little nativity scene, you got the three kings. Uh, they weren't in the stable. They actually, the text says in, in verse 11, and going into the house... They saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. So they didn't hang out in the barn forever, okay? So Jesus had been born in the barn, but then they moved to a house. And so they spent some time there. And that's when the wise men came and they worshiped him. So the wise men, they go to this house and they see Jesus and their response is to fall down before him. These are influential guys, prestigious guys, and they fall down to worship a baby. Their worship of Jesus was accompanied by gifts of great value. They brought their best to Jesus in worship. We know the gifts that they brought, gold. Gold was one of those gifts, it's, it's a precious metal. And it's, it's always been one of the most valuable resources on the planet. Kings were known for having lots of gold. Kings overlay their throne in gold. They wear a, a crown of gold. They have a scepter made of gold. Gold was a gift for a king. These wise men knew that. And they said, this is a king. We're going to give him gold. The second gift they give him is frankincense. And frankincense was uh, an incense, something that they would burn. And it was made for, by scraping the bark off of trees. It's like a gum resin. And it would dry out in these little chunks and then they would burn it. And frankincense was known to be burned in the worship of deities of gods. 
And so this was not something cheap. It was something expensive that typically was found in a temple of worship. And they would burn it. And um, so these wise men bring the gift of frankincense. They say, this baby, not just a baby. He's a God. He is God. And that was their way of honoring him, of bringing this gift of frankincense. And then they brought myrrh. Another um, resource harvested from trees and it was used as a perfume or an anointing oil. Um, it's sometimes used to prepare a, a person's body for burial. And so this gift signified the fact that the wise men knew that this baby was not only a king, not only God, but also human, a man, fully God, fully man. And it foreshadowed his death and burial 33 years later. So these wise men bring their gifts to Jesus. And I want you to see a pattern from the Christmas story. God drew the wise men to himself because their hearts were open. God drew the shepherds to see Jesus because their hearts were open. Herod's heart was not open. The people in Jerusalem rejected him. They wanted him dead. And they did kill him 33 years later, only when God allowed it. But up until that point, God had protected Jesus. See, the invitation to know Jesus is still the same for us today. The invitation to know Jesus is for those who see him for who he is, the king, the savior of the world. And God will not be stopped in revealing Jesus to who he wants to reveal Jesus to. And I know we can get into some theological debate here and, you know, Calvinism and Arminianism and, and where do we fall on that spectrum of predestination and free will and, and I'd say, yeah. You know, we're not going to argue that point this morning. God is sovereign. He is all powerful. He is unstoppable. He will accomplish what he has set out to do, but he also gives us a choice to respond. He gives us freedom. God draws who he chooses to himself. God used stars and astronomy to draw these pagan, these pagan wise men to himself. He can draw whoever he wants to to himself. I think sometimes we need a little bit of a reminder of how powerful God is and how he can reach anyone he wants to reach and he will draw them to himself. I know I've needed that reminder before. I've needed my faith stretched a little bit I think back to when I was in college at Minot State and I was meeting with a guy and we would meet once a week and do some discipleship stuff. And one of the things we would do is we'd walk around the campus and just prayer walk. And we kept running into this guy, his name was Dwayne. And Dwayne was just kind of a tough nut and he just had a rough background. And, um, and anyway, we kept running into Dwayne and we asked him, we said, hey, we're doing this Bible study on Tuesday night. You want to come to it? And he's like, nah, not interested. Okay, and uh, he said, yeah, I'm pretty much just into partying right now. Like, like drinking's just the biggest part of my life. Like, he straight up said that, and I was like, oh, okay. Most people don't say that, but anyway, that was Dwayne's story. He said, I'm just really not interested. I don't have time for Jesus. Like, I'm not interested. About a year later, some things started to happen in Dwayne's life, some circumstances that he was going through, and we kept running into him, and Pretty soon, Dwayne's heart started to shift, started to change, and he was more open. And he started to come to the Bible study. Then we started to have some conversations. And about a year and a half later, he opened his heart and he trusted Jesus. 
and he was baptized, and then he started doing his own Bible study, started running his own thing on, on campus. And I was wrong. I had given up on Dwayne. I thought, this guy's a lost cause. He's so far from God. God can't reach him. Shame on me. Who are we to think that we can limit God? We are human. He is unstoppable, and he will accomplish all that he sets out to do. I want to pause for a couple questions of discussion here. Just interact a little bit around these. The first one is this. How much power and control do you think we have over our lives? I've seen a lot of heads doing this. How much do you really think we have? Much power and control. We have the power to choose, but what? We're not free from the consequences. It's true. I think we have very little power and control. When we really stop and think about it, I think we deceive ourselves to think we have a lot. We have responsibilities for sure. But we're really not that powerful when we, when we stop and compare like what God can do and what can I do. Second question. In what areas of your life do you struggle to give up power and control? Is there any certain areas that you struggle specifically with? Being vulnerable. Being vulnerable? Fear of rejection sucks and being vulnerable is very difficult. Yeah, no one likes to be rejected. Yeah. What else? We have power. We have power with, with our fellow men to work to each other. We have power to encourage and encourage one another. And to sing songs or to make a boast about another man's way of doing things that, that no one sees, you know. He, he, he works hard for his children, his wife, his family. No one sees it. It may be a recognition he doesn't find within a community, you start struggling and you start saying, geez, what am I being recognized? Man, this is hard. I feel a little less appreciated. And so the power each one of us have is to encourage each other and say, look, I see you. And look, what you're doing is noble and courageous. And in that way, I think we act better when we can see the same set our women do in small ways, in big ways, the sacrifices that they make the same community, the same Yeah, so one of the things that you're saying that we do have control over is the ability to encourage each other, to recognize one another. Yeah, that's true. But what areas of our life do, are we struggling to give up control? Are we trying to hold on to things that maybe we have no control over? How about the future? How many of you control the future? And what would it look like to let Jesus sit on the throne of your heart in those areas? I want you to think about, maybe you haven't shared it, but there's something you're thinking about this morning you're struggling with. I can't really surrender that. I can't give that up. Maybe it's a circumstance in your life. Maybe it's a relationship that's strained. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's your job. I don't know. What would it look like to let Jesus sit on the throne of your heart in that area and to just say, Lord, you take this. I'm really not in control anyway. I want you to see the bigger picture this morning. 
What's interesting in this passage is the part that we didn't read. So we, we read the first 12 verses of Matthew 2. If you go on and read the latter half of that chapter, Herod goes bonkers. Like he goes and starts killing all of the babies in Bethlehem under the age of two. Like he's trying to wipe out Jesus. He thinks he can stop God's plan. He says, I'm going to go and I'm going to kill all the kids under the age of two, all the firstborn males, and we're going to stomp this thing out. God says, no, you're not. He will not be stopped. God says, okay, wise men, you go home on a different route. Don't go back and tell Herod where Jesus is. So they avoid Herod. And, and God warns Mary and Joseph. He says, it's not safe to be in Bethlehem. You guys need to flee to Egypt and you need to hang out there for a while until it's safe to go back. And so if you read through that text, that's exactly what happens. Mary and Joseph, they go to Egypt and they hang out and they just kind of wait. And what happens is Herod dies. Herod's a man. And he dies. And it's easy for us to just read that really quickly, but that was all taking time. They had to wait it out. But Herod died. God said, all right, Mary and Joseph, it's safe to go back to your hometown. So go back to Nazareth. And that's what they did. And they raised Jesus there. Herod really thought he was able to stop God, but he was not. God continues to carry out his plans. See, human plans will not stop God's plans. God will not be stopped. His purpose and his story of redemption are for the whole world. I want us to see that big picture. Like we, we focus so much on our individual lives, but God is doing something so much greater and he will accomplish everything that he sets out to do. Oftentimes we turn on the news and we say, oh, all this stuff is happening in the world. God, where are you? Why, why are these bad things happening? And we struggle and we, we're, we're worried and we're fearful. No matter what government or, or military force or ruler, prime minister, you know, king, president tries to take over the world to control the economy, God is still in control. And we just need to hear that and rest in the fact that God knows what he's doing and he has a plan. And the Christmas story is our reminder that God has a bigger story going on. He knows what he's doing from start to finish. Our stories, our smaller stories fit into what God is already doing. And we find our sense of purpose and value and life makes sense when we understand it in God's greater story. So we don't have to fear when we see something or someone as a threat to God's plans. Two more questions for discussion before we close. And the first one is this. What kinds of events in our world cause you to question God's plans? What kinds of things? Disasters. Disasters? Like natural disasters? Like tsunamis and sometimes yeah. even war. Yeah, war. What else? When it appears that evil is winning. When it appears that evil is winning, we maybe start to buy into that. Like, okay, God's not in control. Yeah. What else? When we forget. When we forget. Exactly. Yeah, we just forget. But what kind of events specifically? Anything else? Cancer. Cancer. Like right into 
when you're fighting with your brother and you feel like Satan's take, taking over. You're not calling your brother Satan, are you? <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah, fighting. We live in a world that's broken and we have all these things and we start to question, God, where are you? Are you really with us? That's the, Emmanuel, God with us. Where are you, God? Are you in all this mess? And he says, yes, I am. I'm with you. Second question is this. What do we learn about God's heart for people from the text we read today? What, what observations do you have about God's heart for people? He wanted all the people of the world to come to find his son. He wanted all the people of the world to find his son. How do we know that? Because he pulled, pulled Gentiles from the east and he pulled Jewish guys from the fields. Yeah. He pulled people from all different walks of life and he started with Gentiles, which is backwards. He came to be the shepherd of the people of Israel. Anything else? Say that again. God is reliable and dependable. What about his heart for people? Yeah, so you're experiencing God's love through people. Let me ask you this question. Do you think God set a high bar for people to come and see Jesus? Yeah. A high standard? We just wanted you to show up. Just an invitation. See, here's, here's the thing about the Christmas story. God invites people who have open hearts. The shepherds, they had open hearts. They say, hey, there's Jesus. Let's go see him. Let's go worship him. The wise men, invitation. Hey, come check out Jesus. That's always been God's way, is he invites people to have an open heart to those who will receive Jesus, those who will worship him, who will gaze upon him. And the invitation is still true for us today. See, God... God is unstoppable, and I, I, hope we, I hope we can see that from the story, that God will accomplish everything that he has set out to do. See, when God made the world, he spoke. The Bible says that he spoke, and by the breath of his mouth, he said, let there be light, and there was light. Let there be land, and land came forth. God's voice has power, and when he speaks, things happen. All creation obeys his voice and his speaking except us. We are the one part of his creation that can reject God, that can say no. You, th you ever thought about that? We are the one part of his creation that have the choice to either accept or reject. And God brings his son Jesus and he says, what are you gonna do with my son? Will you let, let him sit on the throne of your heart? Are you open to him? Or will you reject him and try to hang on to power and control of your life like King Herod? Or will you approach him and say, Jesus, I surrender. I see you for who you are. I worship you. We have a choice today. 
Are we going to sit on the throne of our heart or are we going to let Jesus take his rightful place? God will accomplish all he has set out to do. He is inviting you to be a part of his grand story. So the invitation of the Christmas story all those years ago for the shepherds, for the wise men, for the people who gazed upon Jesus is the same invitation as it is for us. The question is, is your heart open? Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are unstoppable in a world full of chaos and confusion and mess, that God, you are constant and you are accomplishing your story. Jesus, we thank you for this season. We remember your birth. We remember just how complicated it was. There were issues, there were challenges, there were threats, even to your life. And yet, God, you protect, you protected Jesus and you were able to orchestrate all of the events that happened around the Christmas story. So God, forgive us when we think that you're too small to orchestrate our lives. Forgive us when we, we lack the faith to believe that you are in control or that you know what you're doing. And Lord, as we come to you today, we surrender our hearts and say, Lord, we trust you. You are good. And the invitation is to, to gaze upon you, Jesus, and to invite you into our hearts and to say, rule and reign in me. So God, we lay down our need for control and power and we surrender to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Josh left us with a few takeaways from today's service. King Herod. Herod is more interested in saving his throne than saving his soul. Until Jesus sits on the throne of our heart, we will grasp for power and control. The Wise Men. Despite their pagan background and powerful influence in the Babylonian or Persian courts, the Magi recognized and worshipped the Christ child for who he is. Their worship of Jesus was accompanied by gifts of great value. They brought their best to Jesus in worship. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The invitation to know Jesus is for those who seek him for who he is, the King, the Savior of the world. The Bigger Picture Human plans will not stop God's plans. God will not be stopped. Discussion questions. In what areas of your life do you struggle to give up power and control? What would it look like to let Jesus sit on the throne of your heart in those areas? What kinds of events in our world cause you to question God's plans? What do we learn about God's heart for people from the text we read today? Thanks for listening, Missio family, and we'll see you again next week.